0: This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 7 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire. What comes to mind when you hear the phrase insider threat? For me, it's a scene from a scary movie that came out when I was a kid. You know the one where the young woman is home alone, she's getting creepy phone calls from someone who's stalking her. And finally, she calls the police to trace the calls and they let her know, the calls are coming from inside the house. But that's me. Still, I think a lot of people have a not completely unrelated line of thinking when it comes to insider threats and cybersecurity. Someone from inside your own organization is out to do you harm, deliberately or otherwise, through malice or neglect. Today on our show, we're speaking with John Wetzel about insider threats. He's a threat intelligence analyst at Recorded Future, and before that, he was a counterintelligence special agent with the Department of Defense. So he knows a thing or two about today's topic. Stay with us.
1: Typically, we mean someone who's inside of our company who has access to sensitive information. But that's not always the case because our enterprise can extend well beyond the traditional borders or walls of our network into our vendors and our suppliers into our partners.
0: I think when most people... Um think of an insider threat i think of they they think of someone with nefarious uh, intentions but you make the point that there really is kind of a spectrum of insider threats
1: there really are when you're discussing insider threat we need to realize that it's not just a binary problem you start off coming into your company you're usually not necessarily malicious that's in fact one of the rarest types most often, you're an individual who may fall on the lines of being somewhere along the careless or naive fashion and then gradually becomes slightly disenfranchised and then more disenfranchised with the organization, its policies, maybe just as an individual doesn't like that place. And so they start to seek places that they can outlash and where they can go and where they can uh, be accepted and as a person, as a worker, um, someone who can sympathize, sympathize with their plight. And that's where you get these areas of extending into forums, into places like Reddit, into places like 4chan, where there are a number of individuals who suffer that same type of plight. And then gradually that can extend onto other forums, onto places along the dark web, uh, along to closed access forums.
0: And so uh, what direction does the, uh, the initial communication uh, happen? Do we typically have um, you know, outside bad guys who are uh, seeking out people inside a company, or do we typically have insiders who are, as you say, you know, sort of um, disenfranchised, and so they go looking for some place to, to sell the information they may have access to?
1: I really think that the biggest change in how we view insiders is that it's a two-way street. We have both the traditional insiders who are seeking out as well as having adversaries. And it's not necessarily just nation states. It's criminal actors who have realized that these insiders contain information, not just sensitive access, but real information that helps them in multiple points throughout a cyber attack.
0: So take me through into some of the details of something like that. When you first start thinking of how an
1: insider works, you think of this lone individual in this James Bond kind of scenario, where they have all the tools, all the techniques, everything that they need to complete the mission, if you will, on its own. Very, very rarely is this actually the case. Almost always, that insider is going to need resources, whether technical or criminal, in order to be able to fulfill whatever it is their end goal is. So there needs to be a partnership that exists between that insider and uh, a criminal network, another organization that supplies them with whatever they need. Sometimes that can be a non-technically proficient insider who then needs a criminal network or resources to provide technical skills, to provide ways to uh, cash out services. And meanwhile, it can be a criminal network that needs things such as access to the site, information about how those employee processes work, or even along the lines of, we need to be able to cash out our stolen information from other locations.
0: So let's go through uh, each of these types of insider threats that you describe and, and go into each of them a little in, in a little more detail. Um, you start off talking about the careless. Sure.
1: When people come into our organization, there needs to be a learning path for them along the lines of security as well as the traditional learning paths about job function. Oftentimes, people's main exposure to security is don't do this thing or I've hit a wall where security has put one up. And very rarely is that a friendly or a transactional relationship. More often, it's don't go there. As people uh, start to maturing in an organization, they move from merely being careless and trying to understand where the walls are to kind of a purposeful naivety where they understand that maybe they're not supposed to be visiting a site, but they want to because either it makes their job far easier or mainly just because they feel they don't need to re- uh, rely on the rules as much. Once you start maturing past that simple naivety, you get into this area where it's more, what can I do for me? And this can expose itself in many different ways. As I potentially seek out other employment, I can be looking at, will this piece of information project, uh, other access that I've been given, help me in a future employment opportunity? Is this something that I can take and show another uh, potential prospective employer that will impress them along the way? And then further along, you can actually dive down into it and say, hey, where are the things that I can really truly be selfish about and steal for myself? Can I take uh, company financial proprietary information? Can I take uh, code samples that I have worked on and then use them for my own purposes? Finally, you end up with this idea of the most common, I believe, type of insider, which is the moonlighter. This is someone who has purposefully taking things engaging in somewhat willful uh, violation of policies and rules, but also doing it in a way that they don't necessarily want to jeopardize their employment. So they're engaging in things only when the benefit to them rises to the level that is uh, of enough interest, enough monetary gain, enough financial interest in order for them to be able to steal that.
0: And then finally, at the far end of your spectrum, you describe uh, the mole Yeah, the mold
1: is something that gets a lot of emphasis in most traditional insider threat. It's this idea that someone is persistent, is targeted, is getting into our organization with the purposeful intent to deceive us and to steal. And that is not really how traditional either espionage or insider threat really works. We need to come to the realization that more often than not, we are creating insiders and growing them in our organizations, not bringing them in.
0: And so given that we have this this spectrum of uh, of vulnerabilities when it comes to insiders, uh, what's a good strategy to try to protect yourself against it?
1: When I used to work with the Department of Defense, oftentimes what we would do is identify insiders, not internally, not based on our internal controls, but externally. And how that process would work is there would be communication from another agency, another organization saying, we have seen this person of a certain height, a certain weight, of a certain gender walk into this restricted location and attempt to hand over classified material to a foreign government. Hmm. And that's where your investigation begins, knowing that a breach has already occurred, your systems and controls have already failed and now you need to identify where is this person and where is this potential leak so that i can hunt down from there i think that's a good model for how we need to start thinking about insider threat realizing that the internal controls that we set up are most often going to fail and we need to have some way to signal on not just the breach but the intent to breach someone potentially advertising that they have access that they have controls or conversely, some criminal requesting or a soliciting access or some other type of information from an organization.
0: So what would those kinds of, of advertisements typically look like?
1: In research that we've done in the recorded future, we've seen a number of different dark web advertisements, primarily focused around three principal areas. The first one is actually the area of uh, card cash out. These are sophisticated criminal organizations that are trying to cash out their carding operations through the use of retail clerks who can punch in the, card, the fraudulent card information. The second way that we've seen these type of criminal organizations solicit or uh, garner information is through the use of insider financial theft. This would be uh, sites or forums that provide uh individual's uh, space to be able to share insider trading information in return for partnerships with others who will cash in on that and then provide a share of the return. And the third way that we've seen these type of insiders work is through this idea of actually the malicious implant. This is a criminal organization or conversely the insider saying, I have access. Is there a technical tool? Is there some way that we can implant malware and do something truly malicious?
0: If I'm a company and, and I'm trying to prevent insider threats, what, what about the notion of, of simply trying to make my company a place where people are less likely to have the, the types of feelings that will lead them towards this sort of thing?
1: I think that there is a very strong argument that you want to have companies that people are generally happy at. Uh, there's an old saying in counterintelligence that happy people don't commit espionage. On the other hand, one of the ways that we've seen insider threat emerge is even through the use of in Silicon Valley companies where a particular person working for a company may leak out insider information about new product developments or uh, new technology that's being developed to competitors or to the press in exchange for potentially favorable reviews later on in that individual's career or other future startups.
0: What about the notion of of the carrot versus the stick, you know, rewarding employees for doing the right thing versus punishing them for for making a mistake?
1: I think there is a really serious issue when we talk about uh, security and talk about the issues of punishment, because those two are so closely aligned and you get into a very dangerous area where people are afraid of an insider because they don't want to be associated with them. But... At the same time, they also cannot see anyone around them being an insider, because if you separate it into an us versus them scenario, you can't believe that anyone around you would ever betray. And we've seen this scenario play out through the federal government, through other larger organizations that have had uh, serious espionage concerns. When you're talking about how do we solve that as a a corporate policy instance, you get into very, very interesting cases where the policies need to be just severe enough that there is a consequence to it, but we also need to be able to surface those reportings of insiders. One interesting case study that I uh, uh, was able to uh, receive when I was part of the Department of Defense with a uh, contractor, they were trying to institute initial insider threat uh, detection policies. And they started with a uh, relatively uh, known area that it is uh, most pe- users would believe we're not supposed to do that. And that was through uh, adult materials. Mm. Uh, they believed that uh, they were not going to find any adult materials on their network. And when they initiated some uh, insider detection methods, they realized that numerous employees throughout their enterprise were accessing and even storing these materials on company networks. This type of awareness now turns a policy problem from we thought that our policy were being effective to our policies are being massively violated. What do we do now? Because we can no longer enforce the punishments that we have because to do so would literally decimate our workforce. And so they had to come up with new solutions to roll out and re-educate their employee populace in order to be able to bring them back to the baseline that they thought they were already at. And this brings up two really interesting points about policy. The first one is that policies are often written to protect the company, not to inform the employee. And I think that uh, the more understandable policies are, the more employees are likely to comply. And the second area about policy is that many of the times the policies that we have written are not necessarily being enforced, and thus employees may be breaching those policies far wider than we think. So when we get to that idea of enforcement versus uh, perhaps you know, in, incentive, I think you need to first back off to the point of, are our policies effective?
0: What is your advice to companies who are, who are trying to, to get a better handle on this notion of protecting themselves against insider threats?
1: I think that companies need to be very aware that there is more than just internal signaling. The idea of insider threat is somewhat of a misnomer in the same way that APTs can't be so advanced if they are using and relying on phishing emails. The first place that insiders are often going to be detected is external to their network. If you are a company, you need to ask yourself, if we saw a breach external to our network, number one, would we be alerted to it? And number two, what would we do if we were? being able to come up with an incident recovery plan for exactly that type of instance is something that is critical to maintaining the operations of a business. Then following on, I think that we need to be very careful when we are constructing our security plans to be sure that we are realizing that insider threat is not just a single attack venue where insiders are a whole other of themselves, but can be utilized in parts throughout an attack whether it's to gain access, whether it's to share credentials, whether it's to move laterally throughout a network, or whether it is to actually just gain little pieces of information through a conversation, which are critically important to executing that attack, such as, how do I properly form a swift message?
0: What part does uh, threat intelligence play in protecting yourself against insider threats?
1: Threat intelligence is always going to be that warning beacon with insider threat. It is not a way to prevent it. It is not a way to dive in and really further investigate individual threats. But it can provide that early warning that we have missed something critical that our internal sensors did not pick up on. We have missed it because we were looking in the wrong place. And we have missed it because we critically misjudged or were overconfident in our ability to stop this information from escaping our borders.
0: What about the bias that, that someone who works for us, you know, we may give them benefit of the doubt that we wouldn't give to an outsider?
1: And I think that plays right into that idea of us versus them. The critical problem when you start making it into a very binary problem is that you end up doing three things. Number one, the person next to me cannot possibly be an insider. And so you self-blind yourself to that. Number two, as an organization, you limit the amount of reporting because no one is ever going to want to report on somebody else who they have to see every day. It creates a very awkward environment and somewhat it's socially uncouth. And then this third area is that you begin to create these separations which may, in fact, feed into that idea of isolation that creates insiders in the first place. And I think those are very interesting and difficult problems at an organizational level to try and solve. It's far easier to have something like an external alerting system, which would alert you to, hey, are people targeting our networks? Are people targeting our information to try and gain further access?
0: Our thanks to John Wetzel for joining us. Before we let you go, don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, and every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web, cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, and suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com intel. You can also find more intelligence analysis at recordedfuture.com blog. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Amanda McKeown, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by Pratt Street Media with editor John Patrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.